clubhouse. These problems have to go away before I do. Well, how far away do you want them to go? When they go away, they never come back. Ever. And this is Sheila. Welcome to Pod Clubhouse coverage of Yellowstone. This is episode 109, the season finale of season one. Mm-hmm. The Unraveling this... Part Two. It's always good when there's a part two. <laughs> See, now this didn't feel like as much as an unraveling for me as more of a cliffhanger. It didn't have the frenetic feel that the last episode had, where literally like everything was breaking down left, mm-hmm. right, and center. Like this one felt a little tidier for me like we we got a little bit more in terms of answers and a ton of cliffhangers for me i love cliffhangers though but i like them more i know uh, tv writers like why would they wrap everything up like a pretty little package at the end but it is sort of annoying when the season finale is like a major cliffhanger and then you have to wait like a year yeah it's like ah, dude but that's what makes it good that's what makes you come back and watch so yeah it gotta have a good cliffhanger deepens the mystery for you but they give you just enough to resolve little bits from season one where you're satisfied but then it's just like i got so many questions i have to find out what happens next yes so i have an an odd timeline thing because we're recording this in december of 2020 Uh but we're talking about season one so currently in the news for yellowstone is cole hauser aka rip wheeler is going to be included in people's sexiest man alive i saw that episode episode issue issue yeah yeah so um (laughs) and they're making him take his picture in a bathtub i know it, like they're basically filming and he had like people it's december like it's i'm in new york it's cold i can only imagine what like either montana or utah where they do the filming the weather is like so uh, oh my gosh maybe it's heated definitely gonna see his breath in that one he's gonna be he's gonna be chile that's hilarious but it's funny too is that it's almost like rip is the sexiest man alive not cole hauser a hundred percent. Yeah. Because oh. Cole Hauser with his like sandy blonde hair. It's like, and no beard. It's not the same. It's not the same. So, he, he literally looks like two different people. It really is. Like I follow him on Instagram and his like, he's like a wife and two daughters or something. And they're like the cutest little family. And he looks nothing like Riv. He literally has to be transformed. Like they dye his beard. <laughs> they dye his hair. He's definitely like a sandy, gingery, you know, fair haired man. So so is the article going to say Rip Wheeler is the sexiest man alive or Cole Hauser? I don't know. I mean, it's obviously the actor who plays him because he does <laughs> do it. But, um, it's the same person. It's, but it's not the same person. It's not. It is, but it's not. <laughs> It's, it's an existential crisis we have here. I agree. I think it should be Rip Wheeler, but I, I, I have to say, I almost thought it was a joke because I saw that like on Instagram or wherever. Yeah, Facebook, I think I saw it on Instagram, and I kind of thought, is that just someone's like Photoshop skills and they're just posting that because they love Rip? But no, like it's true. It's true. Yeah, no, it's legit. <laughs> that's so awesome. But that's where I saw that they were making him do his photo shoot in a bathtub, and I was like, oh god. But- that's but Beth like, is the one in the bathtub. Why does Rip have to be in the bathtub? I don't know. Oh, goodness. We need to go out there and we need to be like, listen, we, we got to work this a little bit differently because, yeah, you know, we pay attention. It was Beth I'd rather him be on a horse or yeah. like leaning up against the fence. Yeah. I don't or really saying something a... snotty to Beth, yeah. you know, and just the face that comes after it. <laughs> yeah. Like last episode when he didn't have time for her BS that day. I love how he stands up to Beth this episode. But he's really finding his voice with her because in the oh, beginning like it. it was very much of a pushover. I like how he was like, I don't care. You should know that by now. Yeah, she was really nasty to him last time out. So I know. That's all right. Well, yeah. He will rebound. To- yeah, well, let's, you know, well, we've been talking about him long enough, I guess. Yeah, yeah, let's. Well, we're going to start with, let's start with Rip anyway. Yeah. Since we're already talking that about it. That makes sense. So we left last episode questioning with the bear being mauled by wolves. Where does this leave Rip's? Like his case, really, with fish and wildlife, right? So we come back to a mauled bear. (laughs) I can't say it's mauled. It's like, I know. It's like still left. It's 
just the head, really, and bones. <laughs> like, there's nothing really left to discuss about the bear, in terms of evidence, anyway. But I did like the fact that this second Fish and Wildlife Officer, A, did not get impaled. Right. I couldn't take another medical scene like that. <laughs> and he definitely seems much more amenable to the truth as opposed to what it could look like. Yes. So I liked this. So the reenactment that John does with, you know, where Rip was standing. And, uh, all right, we so we just met Sheriff Donnie the last episode mm-hmm. out. I, I like the fact that there's so much law enforcement that we've talked about in Montana, and this is the first that we've seen of the sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> it just found, it just, it just tickled my funny bone. He's like the low man on the totem pole in terms yeah, of... It's, yeah, it's like, please, we've got so many more agencies ahead of you. But, I mean, this one fully falls within the uh, the sheriff's jurisdiction and Fish and Wildlife has to investigate the bear. But what did you think about the fact that John called Donnie out on the shell casings? I immediately just wrote down, like, why? Like, I wrote what? shady. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's obviously... Is he in working for somebody else? Does Dan Jenkins have him under his wing? A couple of weeks back, we had talked about, you know, John feeling like the shift in power at the Stockman dinner when his family didn't show up and nobody was talking to him. So is this part of that? Is that part of the shift? Because obviously him and Donnie know each other. That was made evident. And John said something interesting that he found out that Donnie was a newly installed member at uh, Dan Jenkins's club. That's where I was like, okay. Because my first question was, why would he do that? And then as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, he's working with Jenkins then or something. Or somehow being paid to exactly make that's, John look bad. That's what I was thinking because John even says he says it's not easy to come by on a sheriff's salary, mm-hmm. which would imply obviously that he's now on the take. Yeah. So Donnie conveniently said he forgot that he picked. <laughs> I up forgot. <laughs> I picked up. Yeah. Like I'm sure you're working so many crime scenes there, Sheriff Donnie, <laughs> that you know it's hard to keep all these shotgun shell casings straight in your pocket. In your pocket. Because that's where evidence goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, in like the Ziploc bag that your peanuts were in earlier. <laughs> yeah, it was immediately shady, questionable. Like, why would he hide that? And kind of dumb. You knew you were going to get caught, but did he have to just try? Yeah, I guess. So how would Dan Jenkins have gotten to Donnie? And is it Dan? Is it Rainwater? We don't know, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, like literally this is, we've, we've met Donnie five minutes ago. So I don't know his role in the power structure for him to be, like, so influential that Dan would, like, have him on the take. Like, is he there to, like, get information on John? I don't know. It's probably not likely that Donnie walked into the club trying to get a membership because he, we just said that he didn't have the money. So, Right, he was approached. Yes, he was approached by, it has to be Jenkins. Or, you know, their whole team, they're trying to collaborate with Rainwater. So that lawyer or whoever, what's her name? Melody. Maybe she thought of this idea, well, let's get the sheriff or somebody in law enforcement on our side since John is in control of all these livestock agents. (laughs) Yeah. So it's probably part of some sort of the plan. But I was happy to see that Rip gets exonerated because that yeah. was just not boding well. It didn't didn't leave me feeling warm and fuzzy mm-hmm. after the last one. But, you know, John says this thing where he says he, he's obviously wary of Donnie and he's starting a list. And because it's December, when I hear a list, I'm thinking that Donnie's been put on the naughty list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to be on John Dunn's list. No. This is more like the takeout list. Like, uh, yeah. you're next yep. to be... Conveniently disappear. Go to the train station or something like that. But I mean, this does put an underline underneath what we were saying before as maybe John's paranoia with the feeling of the shift in power. Mm -hmm. This is it coming really to fruition. He's he's got some evidence now to show between what happens a little bit later on with the governor and this meeting with Donnie that he's got something to worry about. Yeah, something's happening. And then he also learns, yeah, something's also happening. And then he learns through the Rip Chronicles that there is something for him to be worried about. So what started out as just an inkling of feeling and Mm -hmm. what could be dismissed as paranoia is actually a real thing. Starting to see actual pieces of this. Yeah. He's definitely worried and noticing all of these changes. Yeah, it's like the dominoes like falling away from him, like, but he's starting Mm -hmm. to see them one by one. Some of these episodes, I wonder if they're all on the same day. Because Rip seems to have very long days. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. (laughs) But he's then, like, we next see him at a strip club. Yeah, as you do, you know? Like, did he go 
in the bear. It's like 7 a.m. And then he's like, ah, it's about that time, 10 a.m. Well, you know what? I've got, I've got some time before the strip club opens, so let me take care of this bear thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to so, take me a while to drive there. So, you know, he's got to factor in commute time. Were you surprised to see straight-up nudity on this TV show? I guess I was, but I, I mean, I guess I also kind of lump it in with the fact that, you know, they dropped some pretty major F-bombs in the show. So, yeah, I mean, I think I was surprised to see, like, a full-on, like, strip scene happening. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's cable TV. They kind of get to do what they want, and it, it technically is on a later time frame. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just wasn't expecting full-on yeah, I wasn't really full expecting boobs that. in my face. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, yeah, because normally if, like with Beth, she was like kind of covered up or whatever. You know, you don't fully see anything so far. And then you've just seen her ass as she was walking away yeah. from the trough, really. I was kind of like, oh, well, there's some boobs. Lovely. Not just some, just a few. A good yeah, few. A lot. And um, yeah, Rip's there in the strip club ordering some water, wanting to be left alone. <laughs> I was like, what is he doing there? That's such a Rip answer. Oh my gosh. What did you think whenever he walked up to that girl and was like, do you want to make a thousand dollars? I'm like, what in the world? And she's so funny. She's like, I don't do that anymore. So obviously <laughs> there's been some history between these two. I like how we get plunked down in the middle of like their conversation. Yeah. You know, we don't get any backstory on who Avery is. We, you know, even as the episode ends, we still don't know. All we know is that she works with horses and she mm-hmm. works with men. Um <laughs> And she's yep. presumably good at both. But yeah, I just like how we're just plunked in the middle of their relationship without any qualifiers. Well, it's funny because he said, she said, I can have a real job or I can whatever. And he, whatever she worded that. Yeah. And then he's like, why is this always the conversation with you? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, like you said, there's some sort of history backstory with them. And she wants to be paid for different work than she's normally paid for. Right. I guess, I guess she doesn't want to be doing this anymore. That's hilarious. Did you have an inkling before we learned what she was being hired for, what she was being hired for? Not really. No, I wasn't. Yeah, no, me neither. Because we don't know her at all. I was not sure where. Like, because with Rip, it could really be anything. Yeah, because, I mean, we were not familiar with her skill set other than she can break colts and strip. So uh, And dance, right. So Yeah, um, so I wasn't sure what he was hiring her for. I did love her in the scene with Dan and Rainwater just he... Mm -hmm. um, you know, and Mo is sitting there and he's looking at her like he he knows something's up. Like the Does look he? on his face. I don't know. He's just like sitting back there. And he's just like looking at her like, hmm. This Mo guy, I mean, he is just like, he's like always in the background, but he has, yeah, like you said, he has a very emotional look on his face all the time. Like, yeah, what? Is... Like a very worldly view of things. It's like, like, say something, man. Yeah voice that opinion yeah but he's just like looking at the back of her head and and we see the microphone so because like what kind of driver like sits in the restaurant with you yeah i mean mean? and the couple episodes back he's eating the cheese plate right so it's (laughs) like what is his role i don't know i think he's an advisor as well as a driver i mean i get the feeling that he's not just a driver but so far that's all we see him doing yeah well i mean you know when um i don't know if it was the last episode when rainwater was sort of lamenting the living conditions on the reservation mm-hmm. he's saying that you know i i wanted better for my people and Bo's like well you know the last guy said that too um so i get the feeling that there's more of a relationship there a trust relationship than just him being the driver because i mean he also wasn't told to shush and the divider didn't go up so i guess his um <laughs> i guess his uh opinion is is valid so avery is used to gain intel on dan and rainwater mission accomplished that was sneaky rip although mo did take notice sure that'll come back somehow she learns or rip learns that they are closer to breaking ground i guess they're able to piece together what the plan is yeah and uh it's not good not good for john anyway all right, so Avery does her $1,000 worth of work. And, and by the way, if Wait, that's uh, all, all right, okay. if yeah. that's all she's no, going to do for $1,000, like, I'm, I'm in. Hello, I volunteer. I can sit and drink a drink. I can mind my own business. I can be silent for 45 minutes and record a conversation. I can wear a cute dress. All evidence to the contrary in this podcast because I can't stop talking. <laughs> but yeah, it's like for $1,000, I can be motivated in different ways. That's a, <laughs> that's a lot of money. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was like, for real? She's just sitting there? I want $1,000. Like, even if it's an hour drive and an hour drive back, and yeah. plus an hour there, like, I'm Worth good. it. I'm mm-hmm. good. Do you know how long I have to work for $1,000? Yes. 
And I'm sure Man. it's cash. So, you know, like it's, you know, right? Uncle Sam's not going to know about it. Dang it. But, so anyway, so she reports back to Rip, who reports back to John. I don't know. I really felt bad for John in this moment because he's mm. been more honest with Rip about his health problems yeah. than his own children. The point that I guess I'm trying to make is that I really feel bad for John and the fact that he doesn't feel that he's got a kid left who can fight for the ranch. Yeah. And he's feeling the pressure of whatever health issues he's got. Whenever John told Rip in the barn that he's done with doctors, does that mean the end is near? You don't quit going to the doctor unless there's no hope for recovery. Or is he just the kind of guy who's like, I'm not going to that quack, you know? I get the feeling that he just doesn't want to deal with anything else related to healthcare and his doctors and stuff like that. So, yeah, I feel like it's kind of a give up moment. So has he gotten the like you have six weeks left or has he just been like, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to work on extending this. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. But well, because he did have the MRI that was done, or the CAT, yeah. it was CAT scan that he had done the last time out. So maybe he got some news that it maybe it returned, or yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to read what he's saying. It's possible that he never went for the follow up appointment. I'm sure his doctor would be pressing him to like give the yes. results. So I'm sure he got the results. I just can't read from his face if it's really bad news or just mm-hmm. like. I, I just can't be bothered anymore. Yeah, I mean, it just sounded like he is giving up at that point. Yeah. In terms of, like, a recovery. Yeah. And he's, like, he's obviously popping some Tums or something like that. Yeah. Because even Rip said how much longer. He just kind of changed the subject. Yeah. I mean, this is the unraveling. If he doesn't have much time, and we're in the situation we are with Jamie, and with Casey's not there. And now knowing the issue is that his and two enemies have joined forces yeah to take the yellowstone out from under them and they have lots of good cause basically yeah. um i mean this in, is like you don't have much else to to go on for Ugh. yeah you don't have much else to fight for at this point no i agree and it was just kind of a sad moment and then like you know juxtapose that then with like dan and rainwater having their moment together that avery's listening to they're so much closer to an agreement and then they're kind of mocking john's house in the sense that you know this is going to be like you know this is just going to be what the bathroom size is yeah and you know like the gloating that they're doing when you just put it next to like this is somebody's house this is somebody's estate this is somebody's land and livelihood it just seemed really callous i mean they're building a good case to not like dan and rainwater and to like the duttons and it's hard to pity a man who owns something that's the size of rhode island but they're doing a good job and putting an exclamation point on like they're trying to steal this man's livelihood yeah but for every action there is a repercussion (laughs) so i did find it kind of hilarious how this episode actually ended Oh. With uh, Dan Jenkins getting basically caught in the triangulation of the Bunkhouse Boys with Casey so good. in the kill zone. I thought this was very well orchestrated. The choreography on yes. this scene was really good. Did you see how when uh, when Dan's like walking down the street and then he gets captured by the Bunkhouse Boys, he's like in between two truck doors that are open? Yeah. That's, what then, is, that's why I called it like a kill no zone. One, yes, like no one can even see. And no then he's like, see anything. like sucked into the truck and then they shut the door and drive off. Like, what? Like that he, was flawless. He's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> he's like walking down the street and then poof. Because to anyone looking, it was like, you know, they hear a car door close and be like, okay, he just got in his car. Yeah. If they're looking to see where he, he went. That was, <laughs> that was really incredible. good. Yes. Yeah. Very well done. Something that a Navy SEAL would understand about the kill zone. True. <laughs> So I don't know if this is my own morbid morbidness coming out. I found this scene hilarious with him on the horse with the noose on his neck. Sorry, people. I'm not a psycho. I'm really not. Rip, again, now he's taking a page out of Beth's book. I feel like he's playing with his food. Yes. When he tells him, like, oh, no. He goes, do you know the number of people we find out here who've committed suicide? Like, yeah. you're just, like, one of a number yeah. of many. <laughs> he's like, what's, what's sad is the kids? They never understand. I'm like, <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was that was pretty mean. Like, but, dang. yeah, it was just a really interesting scene because Dan thought he had them. And then when Rip's like, no, like, ain't no one going to find you. And if they do, yeah. be like, oh, well, there's another one. I didn't expect Casey to react the way that he did. 
you know, the, the plan was to let him go and Casey has other ideas. So they just wanted information out of him and they were going to let him go? Like, what good would letting him go do, technically? Maybe to, like, scare him to... I don't know. I, I, I didn't see this ending well for him, but, like... Like, if they let him go, he's just going to be pissed and come back with a vengeance? Or he's going to, what, go to the cops? Or... Maybe they were thinking that he'd pee himself and be like, okay, we're not, I'm not messing with these people just anymore. Just walk away. Like, they're all just, like, one is crazier than the next. Like, he's already encountered yeah. Beth, right? He yeah. already encountered John. <laughs> Maybe he would just, you know, see enough and, and just be done with it. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the, yeah. the plan was. But, you know, Casey's taking some matters into his own hands and decides that Dan needs to hang a bit. He just leaves him hanging there, so... I don't think that this is it for Dan. It's just, that would be too convenient. So then who cut him down? Like, okay, so Rip made it seem like Casey was the boss, like of this scenario. Yeah. Casey smacks the horse and Dan's just hanging there and walks off. So who gets to cut him down and answer to Casey? Do you ever see that movie with Mel Gibson, Maverick? It came out in like the early 90s. Like he, uh, probably, the movie yeah. starts out and he's like hanging from a tree. Basically yeah, the horse is there, the horse thing. wanders off and the branch breaks. And okay. that's how he's saved. So I feel like that might be like a maverick moment. Like, because it would be just too neat and tidy for him to like be offed in this, mm-hmm. in this, this scenario. Because then otherwise, how is he going to propel the storyline forward? Because now, oh my God, they, they tried to kill me and now he's going to get his revenge. No, I agree. I don't, I don't, they just left him hanging there, but it was like, okay, well, how does this, how does he get out of this? And then if you tried to hang me, like, I'm probably going to do something about it, right? Like, right. why am I going to walk away? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. It didn't seem like a very well thought out plan on either end, but... <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we'll have to see where that goes. But I don't think this is it for Rainwater because that would uh, not for Rainwater for Dan. That would just be too convenient. I really picked up on the fact that the main thing Jenkins said is that the way their plan works, John either has to sell the ranch or lose it. So that's really the ultimate scheme. Yeah. So he, in the, like the most James Bond you know way ever, he reveals the plan is to inflate the land value, pushing yeah. basically pushing the property taxes up so high that nobody can stay. It's pretty ingenious, and I guess under the circumstances, he couldn't think of a better lie to tell. So the truth, yeah. the truth came out. So hoping they'd let him go or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe say like, hey, I, I did what you wanted. Give me, you know, give me back my neck. <laughs> and he, he must know now that Casey is John Dutton's son. Yeah, I'm sure. He I would put imagine that together. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see how this all plays out. So Rip goes back to John with this info. Yes. I kind of liked how Beth was annoyed that she was left out of this conversation. And she's like, well, I need to know what's going on. And Rip's like, no, you don't. Well, you know, she's not, yeah, she's not used to getting a dose of her own medicine. So. Yes. <laughs> this is the scene where I really liked how Rip just like stuck it to her. He's like, I'm done with your bullshit. You know, she tries to throw it back at him that he's acting ridiculous and this was never exclusive, you know, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Like, what does this have to do with, what does like, that have to do with anything that's happening? Right. This is neither here nor there. I think this is just her ego yeah. coming out and she's got no other play. That, yeah. That's my take on that conversation. But she takes it a step further later on with Walker. Is that because of Rip or is it just because she's got like a separate moment? Is she doing this out of spite or is she actually attracted to Walker? I don't feel like it was out of spite. Yeah, because there's been, like, this little tension building from, Mm -hmm. you know, the time when she was on the horse and he was giving her some pointers. And their conversation seemed so genuine and sincere that they both are just so unhappy here. And she's, like, telling him, like, you're not leaving. And it was an intense conversation, too, that they had. I really like that scene. And I, well, of course, I like Walker. He's, I don't know why I like him so much, but I do. He's really become the conscience of the show. Like, Mm -hmm. like the voice of reason and, like... Like, you people are nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I just love how he always has a look on his face like, what? He's just bewildered all the time. Yeah. With Avery, he was just like, what? And then, (laughs) I mean, just with Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah, just Uh, he's just like, I don't understand how this ranch is successful. It's basically the look on his face every single time he sees him do something. (laughs) You know, bringing Avery in, I think, was like the last straw for him. But I wasn't sure if she was doing that just necessarily out of spite or some genuine attraction. I feel like it's a little bit of both. I feel like the timing was just convenient to, like, stick Mm -hmm. it to rip. I felt like it was just out of convenient timing, out of attraction. Well, that's why I had a question, because I, like, I was taking it that she was just being spiteful. But I think in talking to you, I think I realized, too, that it is more of an attraction, too. Beth is the kind of person that, like, 
if you're not, she doesn't want you, but like you have to pay attention to her. Yeah. Like she doesn't want you, but like don't pay attention to anybody else. So right. like she, she just, just needs, wants she needs the attention. Yeah, she just wants Rip. To, she just wants to be mean to Rip and have him like follow her around, being like, "But I still love you." Yeah, I yeah I I definitely get that. So the fact that he was like, "I don't care who you fuck," <laughs> she's yeah. like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> Damn it! You and now you don't you're, care? you're keeping secrets from me, and you don't care. Oh, oh no! So I think it threw her. Like she was like, "Oh, I thought I had the upper hand." <laughs> 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 so anyways back to rip and john so yeah she's in this conversation sorry you go on what's well, funny that she just was like kicked out of the room yeah summarily I don't feel like, like that's how she is normally treated either yeah so i think she was definitely taken aback by all of this so john has some requests of beth right he wants to know if she can basically stand in as the attorney for the ranch for the estate Right. Or can find one. Or, yeah. So basically asking, like, if her firm has. This level of conversation, did you pick up on the emotion on her face? What, the lawyer section? No. Yeah. When she was talking about, like, the power of attorney and who should be the beneficiary, you're the executor. Oh, right. There was definitely, like, this hint of emotion in her eyes. Like, she almost got teary. Yeah. And... It was quickly replaced by the old Beth because she comes right back with this grinchy grin yes. when John confirms that he wants Jamie off the payroll and basically that she's going to be the executor or her and Casey are the beneficiary. That's what I took from it, that the beneficiaries mm-hmm. are her and Casey. It kind of only sounded like her. Well, because he said, he said, don't let Casey sell it. Don't you sell it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I thought. It was just the two of them left. I agree. I mean, she looked very grinchy, like you said. It's yeah. Just that, that like, grin. evil smile. <laughs> yeah. And... I have a lot to question about Beth in this episode. Like, she's happy that her brothers are out of the picture and she's the one. But then she's not happy when there's nobody at the dinner table. And she's like... Yeah, that was bizarre. what are you wanting out of this? Like, and then I just don't understand why she's so willing to do whatever John wants. And she's so loyal to him. But, like, then she doesn't like him, and she's just like, I will sell this once you're gone. Like, why would you say that? Like, in one minute, she's promising to do whatever he wants, and in the next minute, she's saying, I don't want this. When you're here, when you're gone, I'm going to sell it. So, this is Beth. I mean, she's just so all over the place, but I feel like even if she didn't want it, she's telling John what what he wants to hear. So, then why would you later say, I'm going to sell it? Yeah, she's, like, massively conflicted, and this episode is really showing sort of, like, the bipolarness. of her being home has not been good for her we've seen her mental degrading really over the last nine episodes the fact that she's got both of this in her shows that she's conflicted about being home still and at the same time would like nothing more than to wash her hands of her family it looks like Mm -hmm. i'm not sure it's just i i really feel like this is her inability to maturely deal with the loss and the trauma of her past it shows itself in different ways. Like she's like, yeah, yeah. she goes, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I'll, I'll, cause her father's really the only one who's been there for her. So obviously she wants to be loyal to him, but then looking at the, the dinner table and it's empty, you know, I guess maybe this made her feel the emptiness in her life. I don't know. I also had this thought, like we've discussed how John couldn't have been that good of a father based on how he's treated his other children. So was he somehow a better father to Beth? Cause she seems to be loyal to him or, or willing to only do what he wants. I kind of question why. Like, did they have the history to really support that? Or why isn't she... Yeah, we haven't really seen anything in the past flashbacks where he's really interacted with her other than when they found her mother in the field. He's He comforts Beth when yeah. she's, like, having her little flip-out moment. But it doesn't seem like he's was all that there for his kids growing up. I just kind of question, like, why she's being so loyal to him. But then not like she is saying she's going to sell it. So she also seemed to be unraveling in this whole loyalty situation. Yeah, definitely. She's she's a loose cannon a little bit or a lot (laughs) or a lot. Yeah, (laughs) or a lot. I don't know. It's like she's sad. She's deliciously happy that Jamie's gone. That was hilarious. I mean, like, yeah. okay, so, all right, are we ready to talk about the Jamie yes. scene? Because I've just been, like, salivating over this. Like, it's just evil. She's so mean. <laughs> I 
I just love how she just like waltzes into headquarters and just you know I mean she's doing this and I I joke around that this is like an SVU moment you know like in, in Law and Order SVU like they always like arrive at the job scene to arrest the guy uh-huh. you know I feel like this is that play as well so she can make the biggest scene possible he just like puts his head on he's like oh here we go yeah. oh, she's just relishing every stab at his dignity taking the keys taking the cards just destroying the cup i think the cup that she destroys is just like the embodiment of everything that she's wanted to do to him <laughs> she's like oops oops yeah My and then and she talks about christina like she's not there but she's right there like bubble butt looks like she comes from money oh, oh my gosh meanwhile I mean, she hates Jamie. We've already decided that. So for some, so this is fun for her. Yeah. Like she finally, her dad is like, get him out. And she's like, okay, fun. Let's do that. She's definitely enjoying this part of it. I feel like she's been rehearsing this moment in her head for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It came off a little too perfectly. <laughs> yeah. And I just love the fact that Sarah was lingering at the copier just a little long. Oh, yeah. Did you find Christina kind of annoying? In this scene, yes. Yes. In the scene, what we'll talk about later, when um, they were in the restaurant with the governor at yeah. the same place, I found her to be very useful. But I didn't necessarily see what she brought to this scene other than just witnessing it and, you know, giving Jamie sort of like the play for the next step for him. I think what bothers me about this is like even Beth is saying like he's gonna he's a coward basically is what Beth always says about him. Yeah. And having your like girlfriend of two weeks <laughs> or whatever, you know, like this is good for you, honey. Like, don't worry, you're gonna be fine. Like, it just seemed demeaning really. Right. Like he can't even fight his own battle with his sister or stand. I don't know. It just, I didn't like it. Yeah. They're, they're not painting him in a very manly light. He's been sniveling for a lot of this season mm-hmm. so far. And this is just further evidence that he's not his own man. It's like this girl is new in his life and somehow she's already running the show. He's like a marionette. Like he needs somebody to be pulling his strings all the time. Yeah. He doesn't have a, a like a leg to stand on on his own or his own ideas. It seems. Although I was surprised that he said he felt free after Beth's tirade. I was surprised that that was the reaction. Like, relief was not the first emotion that would come to my mind, I don't think. I mean, maybe. I mean, he's in a lot of turmoil because of this family. Like, his face is all bloodied still. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would feel relieved to be done with, at least I'm done with this and can move on. Like, I, I don't have any money, but... Oh, well, at least I don't have my dad coming after me. Well, I mean, we do see sort of his next step. You know, Mm. Sarah pulls the gun that she's not who she said she was and gives Jamie an opportunity. And he's, I don't know, I guess he sees a way forward for him by outing his father. But what is this going to accomplish? This is what I was like trying to contemplate with. So I guess the angle that Sarah wanted to do was the new Montana weeding out corruption, Mm -hmm. that Jamie's like the face of the new politician. You know, we already saw a little bit of this shift that John's been talking about. And then we'll talk about in a few minutes, but the the meeting with the governor as well, you know, further evidence of this shift. So maybe this gets to paint him in a light where he becomes untouchable. Because now that he's been outed as this corrupt politician, bureaucrat who, you know, does things by appointment, does things by executive order, maybe that's how Jamie can salvage himself. I mean, I think that this is a good idea for him, like, politically, but, I mean, this is the kind of thing that's going to make you disappear in the middle of the night and not never come back. Like, shouldn't he know? <laughs> yeah, that is the, the danger. Like, shouldn't he know that he's going to be, like, taken to the train station the next day? Yeah. I don't know. I just... hmm. I also don't think that he's playing with all, like, the cards in the deck right now. I feel like he's doing this out of emotion. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, Christina's right there with him, so she's, you know, pushing him. Although she is angry that, you know, I guess Sarah kind of duped them. Yeah, but, um, she's. You're right. You're right. So Christina is like, "Oh, this is so good for you. Like, this is going to be the best thing for you." Yeah. But I don't know. That's one huge bridge to burn. And it's it's really risky, like you said. Like, I just don't know that. Like, are you really ready to burn that bridge? Jamie thinks that he's got it nailed in the coffin. Like that, you know, this is his way forward, and he's going to, you know, end his father's legacy by doing this. But at the same time, Sarah also knows that John is the one who beat Jamie to a pulp. So there is this power struggle that Jamie is not able to resolve. But he he ends it with sitting for the interview with Sarah, and he's conflicted about it, but he does it anyway. This feels really weird to me. 
I'm just sort of questioning, like, what are you doing? I mean, it was a perfect setup for the end of the season to be like, okay, now what? Okay, so it's like season two is going to start and the article's yeah. published. I mean, this is huge. If he's going to tell everything. And Christina demands to know. I, I mean, I was like, I was really laughing. Um <laughs> There's not many laugh-worthy moments. When Christina's there and, like, they run out to talk about Sarah, you know, they step outside, and she's holding four phones. Like, she still has Jamie's phone, even in this moment. <laughs> so, I just, I I just thought that I funny. Just... It's just, you know, like, he's relinquished power to everybody, and Christina is no different, it seems like to me. He just hands over, like, the reins of power, and he just needs to be told what to do. Like, that's my, yeah. my take on Jamie. Yeah. And he's just not his own man. It's almost like he just doesn't see the big picture, kind of. Like, he's he's in the moment, just trying to figure out how to move forward. Right. Like, Beth is the chess player, and he's just, like, sort of the reactionary. I'm just not sure this is a wise move. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, probably not. But this article is going to be like, oh, my gosh. There would be, like, explosions from this. There's going to be, like, yeah, I mean, more like the- nooses. There's going to be, like... <laughs> There's going to be more I trips mean, to the train station, for I know, God's sake. This is just going to... It's just going to get messy. But, I mean, this is perfect as a season ender yeah. to to leave us hanging. So, okay, well, what's up with Dr. Richard Weber from Grey's Anatomy hanging out outside of, <laughs> of the convenience <laughs> store? Well, you know, he... Like, that is Richard and... Weber. It that is, is yeah. not some random cowboy. I'm no, like, what is... No, no, no. I was like, what is Richard Weber doing here? <laughs> yeah, that was a very interesting planting of somebody you know he's going in to buy champagne to celebrate his you know emancipation from his family and he gets spurned and insulted yeah (laughs) it's that was an interesting scene i'm like why is this here like in terms of the storyline not his own man yeah still not his own man like you are free but you're still not free right very poignant moment for sure but then it's just Richard Weber. I was like, why is he dressed as a cowboy? Where are your scrubs, man? You're on the wrong sh- you need set. To, you need to be wearing a coat because it's cold out because it's yeah. Montana. So, so anyway, I thought to myself, I was like, is he out of work? And he just like has to make this one appearance on Yellowstone. But no, he's still on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, he's still there. And the, like yeah. two years ago, he was still there. So yeah, yeah I don't so. know. Maybe he's looking for a, a new gig, you know, because sometimes doctoring is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, on the show, he's not doing so great, so, you know. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, he's, looking anyway, to, maybe he's looking to branch out. <laughs> Digging his own grave at this point. Digging his own grave. So I'm um, just going to backtrack in time a little bit in the episode. I just want to talk mm-hmm. to you about when John goes to the restaurant to meet with the governor and oh, yes. the AG. And so, so there's a Jamie moment here, too. Yes. So this meeting with the governor and John, and I don't know if it's me, it just feels really cold and unnecessarily formal. Especially given, like, the relationship we know between John and Linnell. Well, they're not sleeping together anymore right now. I mean, this Well, is... I mean, you know, they, they were up until very recently. I guess. I mean, but this is the shift. Like, she right. is... She wants him out, and she's now playing against John, and John's like... Well, he's doing that quintessential, you know, boys club thing. Like, I'm reminded that I appointed both yes. of you. So <laughs> the he's... look on her face when he said that. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh, hell oh, no. Yeah, no. That wasn't good. Uh, not the moment in time to try to, to buck the new world order mm-hmm. that is facing you. So, um, yeah, I feel like he really misread the scene, the, like how he played it. Yeah, so there was one other thing that he said at the meeting with the governor that I was really confused about. How did he not know who was behind the EPA lawsuit? Because she, the governor, she mentioned something about the EPA lawsuit being investigated now by the EPA. And then that's when he sends Rip out to investigate Dan Jenkins. Like he says, let's like find out who's, you know, who's behind this, the smokescreen and mirrors. That was what I took from that conversation was that he didn't know who was behind the EPA lawsuit. But I felt like it wouldn't be hard for him to figure that out because yeah, he moved the river. He moved so. the river. Like that's why the EPA would be involved. So it just didn't make perfect sense for me. I feel yeah. like John's more savvy, more astute than that. Yeah, he would have figured that out like as soon as he saw it. Yeah, but I was laughing then at the next scene, the next very next moment. Like, is literally is this the only like restaurant in Montana that uh, yeah. people hang out in, or I guess people? Well, power? the one that only the only one that millionaires hang out. I, in. I guess so, but you know, we know that there's lots of millionaires in Montana. It's just dumb money, according to Beth. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the only place to eat. I guess so. Here, other than Sonic. <laughs> 
yeah, this whole like interaction with John and Jamie, like John doesn't even do anything. He just like walks towards Jamie in a menacing way. And Jamie is literally back up against the wall, backing up away from him. This is where Christina, I was like, oh, girl, you are good. Like she's got like this really shrill yell. That still bothered me that she's like taking care of him. She's like, stop. You two, stop. Like Jamie should just stand up and. Yeah, but Jamie's just a wuss. Stand his ground. I know. He's got to have other people fight his battles for him. And, I know. You know, I guess That's the, what bothers me is because this like little new girl is fighting his battles. Well, it's just convenient for him. Like he's always like, it seems like he's always had a caretaker and it's usually been John. And now yeah. like he needs to be replaced. So it's just convenient that, you know, this lady of a degree of power and attraction to mm-hmm. him has this, this role. But what John said in this moment was so nasty. I agree. It's really harsh. <laughs> like, the only thing they share is a last name. He doesn't represent the next generation of Dutton. It was just really harsh. And we've already noticed that he treats Jamie without any any level of respect whatsoever. Yeah. And it's, this is just, like, the, the last nail in the coffin, I feel like, for John as far as Jamie goes. Until he finds out that Jamie sat with a reporter. I'm sure there will be some other... Uh, you yeah. know, the level of beating that comes Jamie's way. But this was really hard. And he did it so publicly, mm-hmm. you know, basically yelling it out in a restaurant where the governor is sitting, his future boss. Right. <laughs> basically. It's pretty cringeworthy. I mean, for your, it's just bad. Yeah. Like this whole thing is. Again, I kind of go back to like, remember we, just, we said like. <laughs> John got pissed basically because Jamie didn't answer his phone. So is this really? Yeah, is this really <laughs> like, like it has escalated. <laughs> it has escalated quickly, but he's just so mean. Yeah, and it's like because yeah. he's just n- won't do what he wants. Because he's just so mean, and is it really just because Jamie won't do what John wants? And and besides, Jamie's doing the thing that John asked him to do is exactly. to run for AG. So it's kind of just a weird thing. But I guess this is, you know, why why we've got cliffhangers and why we've mm-hmm. got the next season. So, um, you want to move on to Casey? Yeah, because we're kind of we're kind of moving down the Duttons here. Yeah, because I mean, we thought Casey was gone. John's saying throughout the episode that he has nobody left. Right. And then here pulls up Casey in the sheriff's truck. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he's just being dropped home by Sheriff Donnie. <laughs> He's like, look, man, people are crazy. Yeah, I ain't prosecuting a vet, which I guess, thank God, you know, this worked in Casey's favor because Sheriff Donnie's got a soft spot for him. I guess, but why would he at this point? Wouldn't he not do that if he was being paid by Dan Jenkins to screw over John Dutton? I mean, yeah, I think I think Sheriff Donnie has some morals and scruples. I think Casey is like his one soft spot. When it comes to John, I think it kind of ends there. Like, I'm sure if he encountered, you know, Jamie and Beth from the other episode where she shot the gun in the car, then yeah. I don't think Sheriff Donnie would be very forgiving on that front. But this conversation that John has with Casey, a bit, like, so Casey tells him that Monica left him and he wants to come yeah. home. And, you know, uh, again, I feel like this is something that they don't do normally. So they both looked really awkward and uncomfortable. I was watching it feeling awkward and uncomfortable for them. Yes. And this conversation that John has with with Casey about preserving the ranch, it's not about winning. He wants to leave it for, you know, Casey and and for his son. I feel like this is the most honest conversation we've seen in nine episodes Mm -hmm. from John. And he just feels massively uncomfortable about it. It didn't leave me in a good spot for either one of them. Like, I just feel that this is just a moment between these two where they still are not going to see eye to eye. It's like John wants to give Casey this whole legacy, like all of this to you. And Casey's like, no, I just want a freaking job, man. Like, yeah, I just want to work. I don't want what you want. I just want to come back home, get a job. I'll live in the bunkhouse like I'm a cowboy. And he's like, I'm trying to give all this to you. But something crossed my mind in this scene. So we've talked about John giving Casey the brand Mm -hmm. for disobeying and and not being sort of loyal to the home or whatever. Wouldn't this be the time for the brand? Like, they had this bigger split recently. Right. And Casey literally just, like, disappeared. Now he wants to come home and live on the ranch. I feel like this would be if you were going to give him a brand for disobeying and then coming back. or Like, this seems a little bit more fitting than, like, you got some girl pregnant and you're not going to get an abortion. Right. 
I don't know. This whole brand thing still sticks in my head and it bugs me between John and Casey. That just doesn't add up to me. And so when this happened, I thought, okay, well, this is a more fitting, if you're going to brand your son, like this is probably when I do it. Where would he put a second brand if that was no. such a thing? <laughs> no, I'm not saying a second one. I'm saying this would have been the reason to no, do no, it. No, no, I first. agree. But like, you know, if, if John was feeling so inclined, like where, where would a second brand go? I don't go? know. Right over the same one, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. On his ass or something. It's just... I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that is ass. <laughs> like you're out of real estate on the chest over there. Oh my gosh. It's like I want to come home, but like Casey doesn't want when John's trying to give him. So they're still not on the same page. True. And so like this is Casey's unravelings. Like he's yeah. basically this he's is lost. his the worst case scenario for him, I feel, is coming back to his father at his mm-hmm. ranch. You know, we had we saw Beth's unraveling, we saw Jamie's unraveling. Monica has her own moment of unraveling. Yeah, this is terrible. This was hard to watch. So I, I, I was wondering when I was watching the scene where she where Papa Felix brings her home. <laughs> uh, that's just his name now. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I call um, him Papa. I didn't know that there was a grandma. I know. I said Mama. Mama's here. <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder what happened to her parents. Obviously, yes. they're not in the picture, but I had no idea that there was a grandma, and she's obviously not in a well state. No. I felt awful. I know. So she's sitting on the porch with grandma, who doesn't know or even acknowledge that Tate or her are there. And, oh my God, Tate crying, her crying. Ugh. And Tate's like, I want to go home. And then she's just like, there oh. like, what have I done? When she said that, that's when I was like, oh God. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. So that was like her unraveling and Mm -hmm. John's coming apart at the seams. He's just holding it together better, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you who's not coming apart at the seams. Who's not unraveling is the bunkhouse with the exception of Walker. Walker is the conscience. So he's got his own little unravelings, but I'm so glad we saved this for the end because like they literally are the comic relief. You need these bunkhouse boys to like get through the episode. like how they're sprinkled in like in the beginning in the middle in the end because it's like okay it's like a breath of fresh air and then go back into the drama yeah i think my favorite part was walker and jimmy had to rope the horse and he's like jimmy i've been in prison for seven years (laughs) you are literally the dumbest person i've ever met right and that's saying something that's pretty funny uh i did feel bad for jimmy that you know he didn't know the horse's name and then you know the bad luck that befalls him which he attributes to his hat on the bed and he's just being dragged through the corral i mean just (laughs) just the see just the thought of that scene is enough to make me laugh yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like he's getting better as a cowboy. I just, you know, I just don't. Uh, I don't know. He had a, he had a rough day this this day. Yeah, he's well. Jimmy has just rough days. I know, but were you surprised then that Rip did hire Avery as a yeah. groomer, a horse groomer? Do they even need a horse groomer? Like it didn't seem like they were lacking any hands. Yeah. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering why she's there. I think he's got like a soft spot for her. I think he yeah. just, you know, he felt bad that she wants to do this and not that, in terms of you know the dancing. But I just their reaction when she walked was... in was like they've never seen a woman before. And I meanwhile, she's like she calls him a lot. She goes, "It's not like you haven't seen it before." Like well, for she... me, I love to how Rip like he walks in all serious. Like this is Avery. She's the horse. Y'all treat yeah. her like a cowboy. And then as he's leaving, it's this like smirk on his face. Like, yeah. like good luck with that. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't have to sleep in here with you, <laughs> yahoos. Oh, it's so funny. It made me laugh. Like the look on his face. And then like she just like strips down to like ease the tension. Yeah, I was just like, well, <laughs> we might as well get this over with. <laughs> Oh, and this is like the final straw for Walker. He's like, yo, I'm not, yeah, I'm not having this. <laughs> I know. But the funniest part was Ryan saying, so he's like, this is not a test I'm, I was expecting today. <laughs> Lord, yes. <yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh, that had me rolling. I was like, yeah. Colby's yes. like, wait, aren't you the one from the club? He's like, yep. She's like, yep. <laughs> he's like, oh. <laughs> like, wait, I know you. <laughs> you know, to add insult into injury here, Casey walks in to join right? the bunkhouse. And, like, if they were uncomfortable before when Avery walked in, whoa. Like, the boss's son. is, But you can't ask him. Like, you can't be like, what are you doing in here? But, yo, Avery is looking at Casey like an available snack. No, I thought they looked exact. Like, they know each other and something else has happened before. 
Oh, okay. Well, I was I was getting a lustful look from her. I was getting a very recognizable, like, oh, uh, yes. Well, I was getting. I was thinking that she now knows that he's available and mm-hmm, mm. wants to cut herself off a slice of that cake. I thought it was like a replay of what's happened in the past between them, like in their eyes, Ooh, like back okay. and forth, like okay. I like it. I thought that was not a new look. No, definitely not. Mm-mm. Definitely not. Um, that was a look of recognition. And uh, you're available. So if you're sleeping in here, that means you're not I sleeping guess. over there. Well, he had his ring on. Well, that that does not stop a lot of women. I have, I, <laughs> I have learned in my years. I know, I know. <laughs> they look at that as a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. So we got some cliffhangers, right? So we got Jamie's interview. That to me is the biggest problem. Like mm. that is just going to cause such a fallout. Yes. That's exactly what I wrote. I wrote Jamie's interview on the fallout. The fallout. Like this is going to be huge. Yes. The fate of Dan Jenkins. Yeah. I'm with, I think he survived just cause like that wouldn't resolve the issue anyway. No. Right? Because then so... like if he's gone, then his trustees will get the property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, John's health is a big cliffhanger for me. That's a big one. It doesn't sound like he had all that much more time. Or options, yeah. yeah. It's basically like, do nothing or do something. And then Casey and Monica. Like, that's like the really yeah. big other cliffhanger for me. Because, like, they are all three of them in such a sad state. Monica, Casey, and Tate, obviously. Um, are just such a sad state from this. Like, like so calling this two-part end of the season, the unraveling, yes. was so appropriate. I agree. As much as Beth is unraveling, I don't feel like there's a cliffhanger for her. I feel like she just yeah. is. She just is unstable. That's yeah. just all. It's That's just, our normal state. It's just who she decides to like mm-hmm. unleash her venom on. I mean, this is pretty like dire straits at this point. Like every single thing is really bad off. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I want to mention. Um, did you notice at the end the song that was playing over the credits? I was listening to some of the lyrics, but it didn't. I mean, it resonated, but it didn't like grab my attention. Why? What What did you see, or what did you I hear? Know. Well, first of all, I just thought it was like a really beautiful song. Yeah, well, that's what grabbed me. Like, it was very mellow and very much like a singing you off into sleep kind yes. of a song. And I, I thought it was I thought it was nice for the end of the episode, end of the season. But what? Yeah. What you got? Well, yeah. So I, I just noticed it was like so beautiful. But it's you know we watched this on closed caption, so mm-hmm. it's like the words to the song. It's like they were written for this episode. It's so bizarre, but like. I looked it up. So the song is called Mercy Now by an artist, Mary Gautier, I think is her last name. Oh, yeah. Um, French is not my forte. So uh, she's a Grammy nominated folk singer. But she wrote this in 2005. But it's a song and it's it's talking about it says my father. He needs mercy now. So I'm looking at the lyrics right now as I'm talking to you about this. So go ahead. So it talks about her father. Yeah, it was just so, it's like I said, just written for this episode because it says the fruits of his labor fall and rot slowly on the ground. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm looking up the lyrics now. So the father could use a little mercy now. So yeah, I did catch that from the, the mm-hmm. which is really odd because usually like music is the thing that sticks with me with this show. Yeah. Oh, gosh. His work is almost over. It won't be long. He won't be around. I know. Oh, my God. And then it I goes know. on. My brother could use a little mercy now. Shackled to his fear and his doubt. Yep. Is that not Jamie? I know. And Casey. Yeah. He's a stranger to freedom. The pain he lives in is almost more than living will allow. Oh my God, Steph, this is crazy. No, it's so crazy. This was written then, in 2005. Like the lyrics yeah. are just as I'm reading it. But to me, the biggest like wow moment was the at the end of the lyrics that says, "People in power, well, they'll do anything to keep their crown." Oh wow! Like is that not John Dutton? This is, this is crazy. This, this is written for this season. Oh my god! I, I love when music does that with the TV show. Like when it pulls something else out of it, it's just so amazing. And I love these kind of folk songs too. I'm not a big. I wouldn't call myself like a fan of the music but i love van morrison and i love songs that are really soulful and like even the musicians 
you feel their like emotion through the music. Oh, absolutely. So I love when songs and TV shows and movies like actually mean something to the show. So well, we talked about this several episodes back. I feel like I don't know mm-hmm. if it was like episode four, wherever the one that they had Whiskey Myers in the bar. We had a yes. long conversation about music and how intentional it is to the show. So to have something like this is so poignant. And I'm, I'm the same. I really <laughs> love a story that's told through song, like your Bruce Springsteen's and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like someone who can really paint you a picture in three and a half minutes. And this yeah. song, now that I'm like hearing it from the episode and reading the lyrics, if you had told me that this song was like published in 2018, I'd be like, right? yeah, that's appropriate. But you take 2005, my head is just exploding here. I know. It's like, oh, did they write the entire series off of this show, this one song? No, I'm just kidding. But it's like but really, it's, really good. You know, maybe the song became like inspiration for like, you know, mm-hmm. how troubled they are. Who knows? I'd love to know. I'd love to know, like, what the origin of using this particular song at that particular moment is. John's, like, walking into the sunset, right, to end the the, the series. Well, not the end the series, end the season. Yeah. And just, oh, my God. Well, I'd love to know whose job it is to find music that fits TV shows. I don't know that I would be good at that job, but I feel like I would really love that job. Yeah. If, If I got paid to sit around and listen to music all day, I would be a happy camper. But the pressure too. of like having somebody like us then come around and be like, that was so perfect. Yes. <laughs> well, so I'm such a goofball because I literally make playlists for every occasion. Oh, like, I do too. Same. For every mood and everything that yep. happens. And so I've I got like, like sort I've of... got a running playlist. I have an I hate mm-hmm. you playlist. I got a I love you yes. playlist. <laughs> exactly. I do too. Okay. So you're not the only one as I hate you playlist. Okay. Uh, yep. <laughs> I hate you can be for anybody. It can be for me. Like, I'm yeah. not, no, I'm, it's not about yeah. the, I hate you is not necessarily for somebody. It's, no. um, it's just like the mood. Like I, I hate yes. everything, you know, it's like that Calvin and Hobbes cartoon from when I was a kid. Did it's I like, send I, I, you? Wait, wait. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Oh no, no. It's just like, there's a, a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon and he's like, you know, leave me alone. I hate everybody. I hate everything. And then it's like, nobody's, no, nobody understands my desperate cry for attention. <laughs> Yeah. Did you send me what? No, I don't know if I did, but I, at the beginning of quarantine, you know, it's like one day you're, it's the weekend. And then the next day it's like, oh, we're staying home forever. I was like, what? Like that just blew my mind. Yeah. So I created this like social distancing playlist. Oh my God. Yes. Every, every title, I based it on title, not necessarily lyrics, but Every title on the playlist is like, don't touch me, don't walk stand away. So, don't stand so close don't to stand me. So close to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just walk away. Just, I needed something to like process all of this. And I was like, I hate you. Don't touch me. Walk away. Like, yeah, you can't touch so this funny. like MC Hammer. <laughs> yes, I did. I put all of that on there. Like, I just need to somehow process this. Oh my God. That's so funny. I'm, I'm literally that same person. Yes. Oh my gosh. Sheila. Um, harder to breathe. That was one that uh, all yes. by myself. Yes. <laughs> don't talk did, to strangers. Yeah, I'm looking at the playlist that. now. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I, yeah, you're like reading my playlist. <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh. that's so funny. I'm such a dork, but I love uh, it. Apparently, I'm a dork there, right there with you. Okay, so the good. fact that I had, I literally had it at my fingertips that I could, you know, pull that up. Like I'm looking at this play, this song, and I'm like trying to fit it into one of my playlists. Oh hell yeah, this is gonna find its way. Oh I, for sure. I have like a random songs that I like playlist. Like if it doesn't fit yeah. anywhere, I'll just keep it there so I don't like lose it. I have like a chill, like a it's mostly Van Morrison, like this kind of music. This so kind of just... has that vibe. Like I would it's like a sad, but not sad. You know? Yeah, but it's it's like a mellow song. I mean, like the lyrics. Yeah which is like every goddamn like irish song if you ever listen to like the 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 melody is really happy and boppy and like the song is literally about like the famine and like (laughs) millions of people die i'm not kidding but it has that kind of like same like mellowy mood but then when you start listening to the lyrics you're like oh my god like there's a mushroom cloud and people want to keep their crown Well, good find. Oh, my gosh. I I hope that this continues. Like, I love the music so far in the show, but this song really sent it for me. So I hope that they continue this, like, awesome song. Selection. Uh, Yeah, for the mood, definitely. Again, it just, what a way to send off the season with this very poignant sound. Yeah. It was the crown thing. They'll do anything to keep their crown. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's literally what we've been talking about. Like, and especially with the interview that Jamie's doing and everything like that. It's just, yeah. 
Oh, his house of cards is going to come collapsing down soon, I think. Oh, my gosh. But if this was normal times, we would be like, okay, folks, this is the end of the season. We'll see you in like eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. But we'll see you back here next week. Yeah. (laughs) For season two. Yay. I'm excited. I actually haven't watched... Like, again, like I am Same. watching this one at a time Same. as we discuss them. So even though I have seen season two, I know generally what happened. It's I couldn't far enough in the past. Yes, that I, that I couldn't tell you what happens. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know what happens next episode. And we're, we're trying to keep it clean so that this way we don't mix seasons. We don't mix um, no spoilers. Yeah, so exactly. We're trying to, I don't want to spoil really anything. Pure. Yeah. Like, I get to watch this, like, today or tomorrow now. So I know, exactly. So we'll be back here next week. And awesome. I'm excited. Uh, just one thing we always ask at the end, if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to this, or whichever platform that you receive your podcast from. And as always, five stars would be greatly appreciated. Yes, thank you. This is Steph. And this is Sheila. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.